Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Having three sons, there is never a dull moment. Out of the blue, they'll just grab you and hug you and say, I love you, Mom. Always um, activity and roughhousing. It's exciting for a while because you're the most important woman in his life, but you also know that sometime in the near future, you're no longer going to be that woman. Well, if you have one or more boys growing up in your home, you can probably relate to those comments. We're going to explore the world of moms and sons on this edition of Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, I'm all in on this broadcast because Gene and I, well, we live this. Uh, Moms raising sons to be men, and poor Gene had an all-boy household, right? She had (laughs) me, and then Trent and Troy, and I think her best thing was to get away and spend time with her two girlfriends in Southern Cal, whom she met in kindergarten. And uh, isn't that fun? So that was her female time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, got, I got to make a trip to go see the girlfriends. And uh, Jean did an amazing job with our boys. And uh, she would agree that raising sons have certain challenges because they don't think like their moms. Mm-hmm. They think differently. Yeah, quite a bit. Like, we're going to go outside and climb a tree and fall out of it or, you know, jump on a bike with no helmet. A lot of action. <laughs> a, lot of action. a lot of action. Well, the goal is today to help moms uh, do a better job in raising their boys to become men. I'm looking so forward to it with our two special guests. Yeah, we're very pleased to have Rhonda Stoppy here uh, back in the studio. She's an author and a speaker, a podcaster, a pastor's wife, and she has a real passion to help women grow in their faith. And uh, she and her husband, Steve, have four adult children, uh, some adult sons in that mix, and 15 grandchildren, which is awesome. Uh, one, <laughs> Grandma just lit up. <laughs> one of Rhonda's adult sons, Brandon, is here with us. He's a worship pastor in Modesto, California, very accomplished singer-songwriter, and he's married to Jesse. They have four very young children. And today we're going to talk about a book. Uh, Jimmy mentioned the title. Rhonda wrote this book called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, Guiding Them Toward Their Purpose and Passion. We've got details about the book and our guests uh, on the website. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Rhonda, Brandon, welcome. Hey, Thanks. thank you. So good to be with you again. It's good. Yeah, it's good to see you. And uh, man, this is a fun show because I do think uh, moms think quite differently from their boys. <laughs> Did you have some of those experiences? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give us one. Who are you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when they're little... Man, you just have visions of it's me and you, buddy, and mama's boy, and oh, you're just mama's little guy. My my daughters who are amazing. I have two daughters also. That's the next book. That yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're they're you think they think like you. They're women. They're going to turn into women, so you know that. But this little soft faced <laughs> little boy is going to turn into a man. It it's. It's bewildering. That's interesting. You know, there is that thing that that girls become women. It's pretty natural. They know generally what's going to happen. Boys are a little more of a wild card. What kind of men will they be? So you felt a little intimidated, you said in the book, after having your daughter. Brandon was your second born, but he was your first son. Mm -hmm. So how did that intimidate you? Hmm. Well, I think just the idea, he's going to be a man. He's going to be someone who raises his family, who's a husband, who is a father, a provider. How do I teach him that? And my husband, Steve, is amazing, and he's got a great dad. But, you know, you're 24-7 with your kids. How do I, how do I guide him toward that, and what does that even look like? And I remember not 
being the mom I wanted to be. Uh, I I wanted to be a a mom. I quit corporate America to be a stay-at-home mom when Meredith was born. And then when Brandon was born, which, by the way, I had to beg Steve for almost four years to have another baby because Meredith had colic. And he's like, let's just not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And when Brandon was born, I remember a day... I was like, get your shoes, come on, let's go. And he was little, and I was going to do something at the church, you know, for for ministry or whatever. And Meredith, who was a very articulate firstborn girl, anyone who has a firstborn girl knows that they tell She's you the what house. they're thinking. <laughs> but she said, Mom, I know you can't wait till we're grown so you can do whatever you want. Well, mm. I'm... I cry even when I say it now. The impression I was giving my kids was, you're not important. Mm. What's important is what I'm doing out there for God, for the world, for the things I need to accomplish. Get your shoes, find your backpack, get in the car, because we've got to go do something that matters. And I knew that's not the impression I wanted to give my kids, but I really didn't know how to change it. So I bought books to try to be a better mom, and the books made me feel guilty (laughs) because I would make a list of what I was going to change, but I soon realized the books didn't have the power to change me. So that's when I was like, I need to find moms that have walked this path ahead of me. And so you ended up getting involved with uh, older women who had perhaps more experience and could help guide you. Was that through a Bible study, or what what did you do? Well, uh, Steve and I were working with youth ministry in the church, and you know, you watch how moms interact with their sons and their daughters, and you see the the couples that are still holding hands, and the kids that laugh at their mom's jokes, and maybe roll their eyes, but they still you know want to be with their parents, and their house becomes the hub for their friends. And I'm like, I got to know what they know, and so I just became friends with those women and asked them to help. So the first thing they did was invite me to a Bible study, a precept, five hours of homework a week Bible study. I'm like, ladies. I have no time. Obviously, you don't remember how much work it is. But my friend Gail, she said, just do this one study. I'll help you with the kids, whatever. Just do this one and see if it doesn't change your life. And it was the book of Philippians, which to this day, I love the book of Philippians. I have most of that book memorized because it was just so transforming for my life. In what way? I began to see my life through a biblical worldview. And I, you know, I grew up going to Christian schools. I knew scripture. I could fill in all those Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, you know, Bible studies without cracking the book. But this was taking the time to wash my mind with the water of the word. And the word is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it would reveal the thoughts and intents of my heart and make me discern my motives for why I want my kids to be good kids, why I want to guide them toward the Lord, or do I just want them to be good kids that grow up and you know don't inconvenience me or make me look bad. It was eye-opening. And then I would say, hashtag old ladies know stuff, because these ladies were genuine. At this study, here they tricked me. You can't talk three hours with grownups and free babysitting for my kids. And I can't talk if I didn't do my homework. Well, I'm going to do my homework because I'm not going to not talk. (laughs) I can't imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) But what these women did is they revealed the highs and the lows of their life. You know, they didn't just tell me the stuff they did right. They told me the stuff they did wrong. And I always say, I can write a letter to my younger self and it does no one any good. But if I write it to the next generation, 
And I teach more powerfully from my failures than I do my successes, right? Mm -hmm. Now it has the power to help someone else and handing the baton to the next generation. That's really why I wrote Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Yeah, and this is the part of the program where we get to test that theory. So, Brandon, I'm going to get you in here. (laughs) And I just wanted to ask you directly, so what kind of mom was your mom? And remember, she's sitting next to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not in between a rock and a hard place at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Um, Answer correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my mom, uh, man, I just, I'm so thankful for her. And I'm so mm-hmm. thankful for the example that she was for us growing up and even for me. Um, I know that even the way that I chose my spouse was uh, highly influenced by the way that my mom raised me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm thankful for her. And I honestly, I think everything that she did, she always pointed me to Christ. And she always pointed me to um, not just being a good person or not just being a a well-behaved young man, but it was always backed with, hey, we do this because we honor Christ. And when we when we pursue things in life, we pursue things in life because we want to honor Christ and we want to um, display his glory to the world through our lives and through our choices. So That's pretty I'm good. Thankful. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that out last night. He yeah. <laughs> very well, very well. No, I mean, I'll buy you something. It, I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody knows you, uh, you know, like your your spouse or your kids. They see it. Every, they see everything, right? They know what's happening at home and all that kind of thing. So that's a a good statement that you've made yeah. about your mom. What but, I've appreciated about her is she's been genuine in the home and outside of the home. Yeah. She's the same person. Yeah, that's which good. Which is huge. A little bit crazy in the house, a little bit crazy out of the house. <laughs> now, you wrote you wrote in the book that your ministry uh, became or came in the form of being a mom to your kids. Describe that. You saw that as your ministry. And, and that was really as a result of spending time with these older women. Okay. That was a result of being in the Word and studying Scripture and finding the highlight reel of the moms in the Bible and seeing how God called them to the ministry of raising the next generation of spiritual leaders or the ones that failed. And didn't do it. You so know. give us some of that real. What okay. does that look like? Oh, okay. Well, let me see. Okay, let's talk about Jochebed because I, I love Jochebed. She was a mom at a terrible time in history. And, you know, we're, we're raising our kids in a pretty difficult time in history. And moms might say there's never been a worse time to raise a child than I think Jochebed might argue that. It was her third child. And Pharaoh had, you know, most of you that know this story, Pharaoh had passed a law that these babies that were being born, the male babies, were to be put to death because he was concerned mm-hmm. they were going to overthrow Egypt. There were so many Hebrew babies being born. So Jochebed hid him for three months. And then when she could hide him no more, the scripture says she came up with a plan to put him in the basket in the bulrushes. But where did that plan come from? God just calls us to do the next thing. And he doesn't give us charts and graphs how it's going to work out or certainty or certainty and he led her to let go of that basket and i think of moms that have to let go of a child that maybe has to go visit a biological father with a stepmom that's not a godly influence or has to have their kids go to a public school and they have no other option she let this child float right into the arms of a woman who Pharaoh's daughter, I mean, they worshiped cats. I just went to uh, a field trip with a bunch of my grandkids to an Egyptian mummy museum, and it hit me afresh. This is the culture, the religion, and I don't know why it's going to make me cry, that Jacobet had to say, here, here's my son. 
And fortunately, Miriam followed him and, hey, I know someone that can nurse that baby. And maybe she got to nurse him for four years, maybe. And what would she be doing during those four years telling him about the God of of Israel, singing songs about the God of Israel, implanting as much truth in that Mm. short time. And then she had to let him go and be raised in the courts of Pharaoh. Yeah, I mean, that's a a deeper way of looking at that story for sure. It's real. Yeah, Yeah. and the heartache of letting him go. Because what do we read? Oh, and he was a beautiful child, and when she could hide him no more, she put him in a basket, and it went down the river, (laughs) and Miriam said, my mom can nurse the baby, and everybody's happy. It's like, she was heart wrench to have to let go of that basket. Yeah. Can't imagine. Well, and still there was risk and I'm sure in many ways she was cut off as he became a child, right. an older child sure. and you know trained in the Pharaoh's court and all those things. But a mother's heart's a mother's heart. You and your husband, you actually did something with a young man, a boy who needed help. Tony, I think is his name. Describe what you did and how you took him in. So We planted a church in Austin, Texas, and we literally went from zero to 200 teenagers in one summer. How old was he? He was 15. Oh, wow. Okay. And our house was just packed with these kids, and Tony was one of those kids. He came to Christ. Uh, I don't have – there's a little bit of his story in the book, but a lot of it's his story to tell, but – came from a very difficult family, and he needed a family. And Steve had been in youth ministry for 18 years. We met a lot of kids that needed a family. Yeah. But – the Lord just so impressed on our heart that Tony should be ours. Mm. So he moved in with us. He became Brandon's big brother. He became our oldest, yeah. Yeah. right? Which they say, don't adopt and have them be you know, the oldest. Right. And Tony's now, he graduated from A&M University. I think I heard somebody yell, whoop, right there. And <laughs> <laughs> he went into the Air Force, became a fighter pilot. Uh, he just retired as a lieutenant colonel from wow. the Air Force, married mm. a godly woman, has two precious kids that love the Lord. He lives in Hawaii, and we were there visiting, and he and his wife, who is a doctor, go every Saturday to the other side of the island to minister to homeless kids. Mm. And he was telling his pastor this that he's the age that Steve and Rhonda were when they took Tony in. Yeah. And he said, it would be like me and Kyleen taking one of these kids home with us. Yeah. And Tony came home and he looked at me and goes, y'all were crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the Lord just made it so irresistible that he was to be ours. Yeah, that's amazing. Brandon, uh, yeah. being that son, and here Tony comes into the home, mm-hmm. and you're the oldest boy at that point until Tony. Yeah. How yeah. old were you when Tony moved in? Was I seven, six, yeah. seven? So how did he that, came into your life around six. But how did that six, feel? Seven. And over the years, I, how did it feel? I was overjoyed. Really? I was so excited. And you shared a room with him even. Yeah, shared a room well, with him. With your generous spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I, You know, I looked up to Tony in so many ways. Yeah. And I think even being a youth group kid and being around him, um, just this, the idea that he was going to all of a sudden be living with us and be a part of our family was just huge. Um, and yeah, I was excited to have him around, have a big brother around. We'd we'd wrestle more than I wrestled with anybody, and then he'd, he'd pin me he down. Sisters and, on both ends. He yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'd pin me down, and he'd do uh, he'd do this thing where he would stand over me and like he would like put Torture his you. yeah he'd put his, his index <laughs> finger on my forehead and just like tap 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 tap. But I loved it. I was like, this, big stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big brother. You stuff. are a calm spirit, yeah. man. Yeah, like, Please <laughs> torture me. I love it. <laughs> Fun. You were a younger brother. Did you like that stuff, Jim? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned how to fight. <laughs> Maybe if you didn't have it and then all of a sudden you had it, you'd yes. appreciate it. Well, there you go. Yes. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So I was I was really excited. It was really cool 
just having him part of the family. Obviously, there was a lot more going on with like family dynamics and things that my parents were aware of uh, putting him in the family like that. But um, I was grocery bill went way up. Yeah, (laughs) but you think generally positive. Yeah, that's a good experience. It doesn't always work out that way. No, it does. I do remember um, Tony. You know, when kids haven't been loved well, they'll either underachieve or overachieve. He's our overachiever. Um, and he has done well. It's wor- served him well. Yeah. But I did he, want to do everything yeah. that he wanted like me to do. <laughs> yes. But Tony was like valedictorian, football, yeah. all pilot. the things. My goodness. And he started, when they were young, kind of nudging Brandon to do the, thing, the things. And Brandon was a different kid. Brandon was a musician, and he had different passions. And we can talk about that in a little bit. But Steve and I had to pull Tony aside and say, he's not you. We love who you are. We love what you've accomplished. We want to, we're cheering you on, and we want you to keep going, but you're not the standard. So if you start telling Brandon that he needs to do the same thing you are to be affirmed, to be successful, that's that's going to be hard on Brandon. So we're going to celebrate both of you and your differences. That's great. That's good. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help, but in times like these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share His light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Rhonda, I appreciate uh, pointing out the good moms of the Bible, but you also pointed out some of the bad moms. And I I appreciate that because you learned so much. Maybe that should be my next book, Bad Moms of the The, Bible. The Bad Moms of the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's plenty. But point out some of the, the things we can learn from those that made mistakes. And doesn't that just give us hope? Because, you know, my trademark is No Regrets Woman because I help women build no regrets lives and break free from regrets that hold them back. And moms have regrets. But there are women in the Bible that God gives us hope even when they did not do what they should have done. We'll talk about um, Rebecca and Jacob. She was a manipulative deceiver. And we all know the story. She was pregnant. There was rumbling in her belly. They didn't have ultrasound, but she's like, something's, something's crazy in there. And then God reveals to her, you have twins, and the older is going to serve the younger. So when they're born, they grow up, and then one day it's time to receive the blessing, and it's supposed to go to Esau. And mom hears and goes, oh, no, 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 no. God told me I'm going to get involved because I got to help God with what he promised. And at what cost? She never, as far as we know in Scripture, she never saw Jacob again. She didn't bounce his little baby boys on her knee or her little baby girls, as far as we know. They talk about that the dad was still alive when Jacob comes back, but you never hear of his mm. mom again. 
How heart-wrenching. And yet, what damage did it do in her marriage to her husband and her, who she deceived her husband, and it now was influencing her son, Jacob, who also was a trickster. And we see that lived out in his life. Yeah. You you believe a mom's decisions and actions today with uh, her children have that kind of impact. Sometimes it's hard to connect Old Testament stories like that to modern day life. What's that application look like today for a mom? Psalm 103.17 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Wow, that is just amazing to me because it doesn't say to those that live perfectly. It says to those who fear him, to mm. those who honor him, who those who wake up every day and say, Lord, I want to live in obedience to you today. I want to walk in a manner worthy of my calling. As a mom, I know I have been called to the ministry of motherhood. You know, they moms these days, they pee on a little stick, they put the picture on social media so everybody knows they're expecting, and they go buy all the cute maternity clothes, and they decorate the, you know, nursery and that's how they prepare for motherhood. Yeah. But they don't prepare for the ministry. Rhonda, let me ask you this, though. And it, this is an observation I've seen with Jean and other moms that, that we know. Um, sometimes we can overcomplicate it a little bit, what you just said there in the scripture. I mean, live righteously, be righteous. And these things will flow to your kids and to your grandkids and hopefully to your great grandkids. Mm-hmm. Speak to that fear that sometimes performance, you know, if we're not performing well, that somehow we're going to let our kids down and they're not going to get God because we're not behaving or performing the way we need to. Your performance will not draw your children to your Savior. Your performance will become a religious action. Your kids may grow up and say, my mom, my dad, they were a good person, but their religion's not for me. But when they see us, which Jesus said the priority of life, protos, is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The more that we fall in love with God. Ask, And I remember meeting people that love Jesus, and I'd be like, I don't love him like that. But I would say I loved him, but I knew I didn't. And I asked God, I want to love you like that. Show me, convict me, make me desperate to love you like that. And then fellowshipping with others that love Jesus like that. Mm-hmm. Iron sharpens iron. And when I get bumped, what comes out of me reveals my heart. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times, let's say you're the homeschool mom and you don't really do anything socially with anybody else except your family because you're doing a really good job in your house doing your thing. And maybe you go to church on Sunday and you're out of there, but you're not fellowshipping with other moms. You're missing an opportunity for your own heart to be revealed. And then I have friends in my life. We call them, Brandon knows they're, they're his other mothers that they've, we've been friends with for his 30 years. <laughs> and we invite each other challenge out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks if i'm anxious or fearful or judgmental or gossiping stop me tell me i will do that for you also and that to me is a valuable part of being in the ministry of motherhood is be with other moms that see it like that and want to live like that yeah now uh, in the context of mary uh, she did so many things correctly i mean she was a teenage mom but what do you derive from Mary as a mother? Poor Mary. She was so little. She was so young. And this angel, Gabriel, here's crazy, writing in the margin of your Bible, God's ways. He sent Gabriel to her when she was alone, when she was all by herself. Joseph wasn't with her. Her mom wasn't with her. 
you're going to have a baby. You're a virgin. And she was like, wait a minute. And she says, I've, I've not known a man. And I love that God lets her question. You know, mm. she's not being faithless or rebellious. She's just like, I, I got to wrap my head around what you're asking me to do. <laughs> and then at some point, and she knew scripture. She knew Messiah was going to come through a virgin girl. So when God asked her to do something, it was filtered through a lens of scripture that she already knew was sound doctrine. And she says, yes. Of course, Joseph doesn't believe her. And she leaves and goes to see Elizabeth. And what I love about that story is sometimes when God calls us as moms or in any area of our life to do things that are so much bigger than we can even imagine, he sends us encouragers. And Elizabeth was Mary's encourager. Mm. Old ladies know stuff. She was older. She had John the Baptist in her womb. The mother of my Savior is here. Can you imagine what relief young Mary felt when her cousin said that? Like, somebody believes me. Mm. And then when she went back, of course, she married, and and, uh, Joseph believed her because an angel told him. And then she took Jesus with Joseph to the uh, temple to have him confirmed, circumcised, all the things that that they do at that age. And Simeon shows up, an old gentleman, and he takes that little baby out of her arms, and he says, Oy vey! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can die now because God promised me that I was going to see the consolation of Israel before I died. And I love also Anna walks by right in that moment. It happens to. I mean, there's God's ways, right? He's literally orchestrating that Anna walks by and hears that. Mm. Anna spent the rest of her life as an evangelist saying, I've met the Messiah. Working at the temple. Yes. Mm-hmm. But also, Simeon said, basically, sweet girl, your heart's going to break. There's going to come a time when your heart is going to just be pierced with sorrow. Mary didn't know Jesus was going to be crucified. Mary had an idea that my son was going to be Messiah and be the king. They didn't understand that he had to die. Yeah. How was Mary, when she was standing, looking at her son on that cross, did God use the words of Simeon to remind her and encourage her? Yeah. This is my will. God sends people in our lives when the task of motherhood, the task of whatever ministry he calls us to, is bigger than we can even wrap our minds around. And that uh, is part of the challenge, that God doesn't guarantee it's going to be easy. Right. And we've got to end here, but we're going to pick the story up where Brandon... You had some difficulties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're not going to disclose them right now, but you got to stick with us. Stay yeah. tuned. And uh, come here part two, because uh, that was kind of your challenge, Rhonda, your Mary challenge, if I can call it that. So let's come back next time and fill in the blanks for people that are going, okay, what happened? Mm-hmm. Stick with us. And we'd encourage you to hit the website or give us a call for a copy of this book that Rhonda has written called Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Uh, guiding them toward their purpose and passion. Uh, it's a terrific resource. It goes uh, much more into detail on these stories and insights that Rhonda has, and it'd be a privilege to send that to you for a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Focus on the Family today. A monthly pledge, if you're in a spot to do that, would really make a difference. Jim, that helps smooth things out for us it on does. a budget matter. It really helps. Uh, budget basis. If you're not in a spot to do that, a one-time gift of any amount uh, certainly helps us make broadcasts like this. So donate as you can and request your copy of the book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men, when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. 
Be sure to tune in next time as we continue the story and once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. One in five households cares for a child with special needs. Is yours one of them? If so, we know you want your child to be taken care of no matter what happens. If you want to secure your child's future by preparing a will but need extra guidance for your unique situation, Focus on the Family can help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask If You Have a Child with Special Needs. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Special Needs eBook. Today on Focus on the Family, we're going to return to an important conversation about moms and their sons. And uh, here's part of an original song that one of our guests, Brandon Stoppy, wrote for his mom, Rhonda. I remember the first day you took me to that school. I was afraid, but you helped me be brave. It's all in the mother's love. What a wonderful tribute to moms everywhere. And we're so thrilled to have Brandon and Rhonda back in the studio again today. Uh, thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, I really enjoyed the conversation that we started last time with Rhonda and Brandon, talking about the ministry of motherhood and the power of moms in the lives of their sons. And how do moms help their sons grow into being men? That's a great question. I'm sure most moms listening want to do that for their sons, mm-hmm. right? It's a natural thing to want to do. Uh, Rhonda last time talked about getting engaged with wiser, older women who can help calm you down on those Offer precipices. Jean yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly had those moments with Trent and Troy where mm-hmm. she would call a girlfriend and say, okay, are your boys doing this? And uh, she'd later assure me, yeah, I think it's okay, and others are doing this. But we're going to get right back into the program. We left off last time talking about some of the more powerful Moms in the Bible, and Rhonda pointed those out, which she does in her book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. And then some of the the weaker moms in the Bible, that manipulation and deception, uh, and we're going to continue that discussion today. Uh, Rhonda, Brandon, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. We uh, left last time when we talked about Mary and the awesomeness of Mary accepting the task of, uh, you know, birthing the Messiah. And how she went through that. And if you've missed last time, get the download, and uh, or you can get get the download on your smartphone. Mm-hmm. There's ways to do that because you really need to hear uh, part one of this story. But Rhonda described that puzzlement that Mary must have had, and then coming into that reconciliation that okay, I'm going to do this. And we left off there talking about how something Brandon would experience impacted you. So let's pick the story up there, Rhonda. Uh, you're this person that's gotten all this wisdom from older women, and then you get a diagnosis with Brandon. What was it? We had just moved to uh, Austin, Texas, and we ended up planting a church there. And while we were there, Steve was actually still in California, so I was home alone with the kids, and Brandon had a severe seizure. It lasted 28 minutes. That was the first time? The first seizure. Didn't know anything. And they life-flighted him to the hospital. I didn't even know where the hospital was. But when he got on the air, the uh, helicopter, he was talking baby talk. He'd been 28 minutes without oxygen. Wow. So as I finally was driving to the hospital, my prayer was that he wouldn't have had 
brain damage. So I get to the hospital. He's jumping on the bed. Mom, I was riding on a helicopter. I'm like, yes, buddy, you're fine. He's back. And they did <laughs> tests. One of the tests they did is an EEG on his little brain. They glue those little things all over his... And how old is he? He was six. Six, okay. And during one of the tests, he was asleep. And I went over and I kissed him on his temple. And the tech called me over and she circled and she said, Mom's kiss. They know that you kiss them when they're sleeping. So I just thought about that the other day, yeah, actually. Yeah, because yeah, you kiss your babies. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and, and so yeah. when my kids were in junior high, I used to go in and kiss them all the time. <laughs> mommy loves you. You love Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> But the doctor said he had severe seizure activity in his brain. And so our life took on a whole new neurologist and medications. Right. And the medication that they had to put Brandon on was so strong. He had to take it three times a day or he would have severe seizures. Yeah. So all of a sudden, my bright, articulate little boy mm. was very calm and quiet, didn't want to play sports. I was coaching high school cheerleading in Texas at the time. Anybody who lives in Texas knows like that what that's all about. My boy didn't want to be an athlete. He didn't want to run one down the field or hit one out of the park or hear the crowd glory in my son's accomplishments. He played Legos. They put him on special ed at school. And that pierces your heart when the administrator uses those words mm. for your son. And it was a season of just like, Lord, are, are you are you in this? What are you doing? Yeah. And as that time went on, about four years later, um, Brandon had a severe seizure because we missed one dose of his meds. And the doctor said, then that means he still has severe seizure activity, so we have to keep giving him the meds. And that broke me. Yeah. And I went in my room, and I was weeping before the Lord. And I was like, we are serving you. And there's teenagers coming to Jesus, and we are serving you. Can't you heal my son? Mm -hmm. I quit. I'm done. I'm out of here. But if you hide God's word in your heart, the Bible says you won't sin against him. And in the stillness, not an audible voice, the scripture and everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I didn't say yes. I said, I have no idea how to thank you for this, but I will say thank you with my lips, but you're going to have to change my heart. Slowly, we observed that Brandon was becoming a musician. We had praise band practice in our house every Wednesday night after youth group, and he could sit behind the different musicians and he could play. Huh. And my husband, who's a musician, said, I've never met someone at this age that can think in music theory like Brandon does. So what we started to observe was I wanted to raise an athlete to hear the crowd glory and his accomplishments, but God pushed me out of the way to raise up my son to bring the crowd to glory and God's son's accomplishments through worship. Brandon's a worship pastor, and it's been amazing to see what God has yeah. done. Let me ask you, Brandon, uh, yeah. you know, memories of being a six-year-old are often mm -hmm. a little elusive, but sure. how did that impact you as a boy? How did you process that? And where are you at today with that diagnosis? You know, um, when I think back at the time, it was, I think I grew up faster than I should have in a lot of ways. Um, the, the medicine really put me in a, a, a dark place in a lot of senses. A, a lot of things that I'm even kind of in, in my life now that I have to work through. And, and remember the the truth of who. Yeah, it's important though as to why. Why yeah. do you think you went to those dark places? I think the, the difficult thing for me at that time was I was I wasn't as smart. I didn't feel as smart, and so a lot of self doubt set in. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, not feeling good enough, not feeling like I was smart enough. That was a huge thing for me. And at like six or seven, I'm having these thoughts like yeah. like I'm stupid, like I'm not smart, and it was mm -hmm. tough. It was a tough. I remember very clearly, like multiple nights of just 
for some reason, I, I didn't want to sleep. It, it, the seizures were linked to sleep. So if I fell asleep, you know, like that feeling, like when you're starting to fall asleep and then you wake up real quick, yeah. like in a jolt, I would wake up into a seizure. And so oh. I was afraid of falling asleep. Mm. And That's as terrifying. a seven-year-old, I'd be, you know, awake for hours. I had a clock on my on my bed and I'd watch the clock and it would get up to, you know, 2, 2 a.m. sometimes. And I was just afraid, terrified to go to sleep. And then oh. I had all these thoughts just like so it was a tough, it was a tough season. Yeah. And I remember it very clearly. And even though it was, you know, six or seven years old, it was very impactful on my life. And, um, it was, it was difficult for sure. Yeah. yeah. I would think it allows you to relate to the loneliness of mm-hmm. teenagers today. I'm thinking of teens particularly who just don't feel accepted, yeah. feel lost. Yeah. They might not have a yeah. diagnosis, yeah. uh, but they're, they're living some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the stuff that I that was kind of cultivating in that time, it, it reared its head in teen years and in adolescent years, yeah. for sure. What a tough thing to go through, though. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, music, that's where I found kind of some solitude. I found some solace in music. You know, right. And I, I, uh, we'd have, yeah, worship band rehearsal. My dad was the, he was kind of doing all, wearing all the hats, small church, and uh, he was the youth pastor, but he's also the worship worship guy. And um, we'd in our living room, we'd have worship band practice on Wednesday nights, and I would just watch, and I'd uh. just watch every instrument. And not only that, not only did I watch the instruments, but I watched worship, mm-hmm. and I watched what it meant to actually come before the Lord. They were rehearsing, and they'd go off on these, and it was like like the the golden age of like praise music, you know, like yeah. the '90s praise music stuff. That's just such great courses, and. Um, they would just go go off and they they they'd practice what they needed to practice and then they'd keep going and like, like musicians yeah do. yeah like yeah <laughs> and I just remember seeing my dad just eyes closed and just just connecting with the Lord in in those moments and everybody else was just it was just so inspiring and I think I just found I found something in those moments I found I found a, a, a purpose in a sense and yeah. it was something that I knew I wanted to chase because I could mm-hmm. and although I was like limited and what I could understand and how quickly I could, music just clicked for right. me. So. Well, it's like you were made for it. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. In yeah. fact, Rhonda, you wrote in the book about that, this idea of appealing to the man he will become. You've kind of given us a little insight there. You had Tony, who you brought into the family on this path of you know high achievement, became a fighter pilot, athlete, I would assume. Mm-hmm. He flew the F-22. I just have to throw that out yeah. there. <laughs> okay. okay, good. I don't know what number best we're up to now, but you can tell you're a proud mom. That's a good thing. But, uh, but to that point, I mean, you had to pull back, and you had to do what you wrote in the book, appealing to the man he will become. And so many moms, and certainly dads, if we haven't said this, dads need to be leaning mm-hmm. into this as well. Yes. But we we have a vision of what we want our sons and daughters to become and you got to let that go cuz god's got a different plan typically for them how did that how did that work for you how did you really appeal to the man that he would become. You know, I was just listening to the episode that you guys interviewed Dr. Kathy Cook and she was talking about She's she good. was, you know, big and they put her in dance and she all of a sudden found her place. Her parents listened to her and what as Brandon he he wasn't he didn't process his thoughts out loud. He was very yeah. quiet. And I remember one day he was in fifth grade and he said, "I'm dumb." And I'm like, "You're not dumb." 
And I, that's when I took him out of school and homeschooled him. And then I took my youngest out of school to homeschool her because I thought the least I'm going to get out of this is sleeping in in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when your child reveals something they're struggling with, make an adjustment to help them. By the next year, he was getting straight A's in sixth grade. And when he was an adolescent, as Brandon said, a lot of these things started coming out at that adolescent age because men crave respect. And so I always tell moms, the first decade of their life, love the snot out of your little boys. Mommy love you, mommy love you. But when they hit that 10, 11, 12, you'll know when it is. They start smelling funky. They push you away. You have to decide, I'm going to show them how I love them by how I respect them. And then they'll listen to you. So an example that I shared in Moms Raising Sons, Brandon was learning to drive. And so he was driving up our canyon, which is a winding mountain road with cliffs on both sides <laughs> with this moody teenager. And he said... Why won't you let me listen to secular music? Why are you and dad so against me listening to secular music? And honestly, didn't want to have the conversation. It was, we have a 40 minute drive with no cell phones, no radio, no TVs in the car. You just talk or you don't. And I'm like, okay, Lord, give me wisdom. Because I knew that he was not going to like the answer. Mm-hmm. And so I said, dude, that's his nickname. I think I was struggling with it because I think Meredith, had like some yes you know, and, yes and i was okay, like now we're going to listen to wait wait, wait hold on like, <laughs> <not understand>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yes but that's the point right you raise your go ahead you raise your kids for who they are yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so what you said is so i said was golden. brandon here's the thing god and god it ended up healing brandon from epilepsy which is a beautiful story but i said god brought you through this because he's put in your heart to be someone that leads people to worship. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I know the man you want to become is a man who leads people to worship Christ. But if you feast on secular music, you are going to write secular music. If you feast on the music of the world, that may be where you you may be famous. You may play for high school dances and nightclubs. I don't know. But it will be not what God has for you. And I'm here to help you get there. And that's where you impart the vision. I see glimpses of who God has for you, what he has for you. I don't manipulate. You know, it's, it's motivate, not manipulate, right? But until you're ready to guard your own heart, we're going to help you guard your heart. Because you don't even know that Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy the good plans that God has for your life. So we're going to help you set a guard over your heart. But when you're an adult, you can listen to whatever you want. But right now, we see who you want to become, and we're here to help you get there. Yeah. And Brandon, of course, that went down silky smooth, right? It was tough. It was tough to, yeah. At the time. Tough to swallow at the time. Yeah, yeah now but you it, realize it, but. It was one of those moments. There's a few moments that I can think back where, you know, my my mom and I, we would like button heads on something, but then she'd say something and I'd be like, ah, oh, that does make sense, you know? And I think for me, what what connected is, is she just had such a desire for the things of the Lord to be at the forefront of my heart and my thinking and such a desire to see the Lord just lifted up in my life and in the decisions that I made. And, and music was a big part of that. And I think just her saying, you know what, I know that the Lord is going to use this part of, of what he's given you was important. Um, and to do it in a way that, that wasn't uh, self-seeking and wasn't, uh, I, I think secular music, while for some kids it wouldn't have been like that big of a deal, I think it would have been a big deal for what me. What was your language? Yeah. yeah, that really was yeah. who you were becoming. Yeah. So that was wise. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
they're getting bombarded from so many different directions that I would rather have them doing something in a faith-based background. Values you can trust for your children. And this is just reinforces what they're learning at church and makes things, I think, where they're going to grow up in the right way. Get Focus on the Family Clubhouse and Focus on the Family Clubhouse Junior Magazines at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Club Radio. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Rhonda, you touched on this, but I want to make sure we hit it squarely. Uh, and in fact, in the book, you, you say it this way, you hand your son his manhood. I think for me as a dad, I understand that maybe differently. But I found it yeah, interesting from a mom's perspective what your role is in handing your son his manhood. I think our sons get the impression we want them to stay our little boy forever. And secretly in our hearts, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes on the outside, too. Yes. (laughs) But Brandon and I, when he hit adolescence and he was like pushing back, you know, go sweep the kitchen floor. He'd always swept the kitchen floor. Now it was beneath him. And I'm seeing it as rebellion in the troop. And having to step back and and you know i'm I'm putting this in a nutshell but there were a lot of tears there was a lot of interaction in fact brandon and i spoke at a mother-son retreat at mount herman and brandon talked to the moms about adolescent boys and he said do you remember what he said i don't remember sorry um when my when my mom she remembers that yeah. <laughs> when i could get my mom to cry i knew i oh, was yeah. in control Ooh. and when she stopped crying i knew i had lost control and there's like moms not a dry eye yeah. in the room like oh that's mine but I was like, you know, I love this this boy so deeply and he is questioning my love for him because I won't let him go skateboard all over town with his friends. And, you know, you know when you know her, that's not a good decision. But he, all he sees is you're just trying to control me. But moms, we are the hill to die on. There's no coming of ritual practice in our culture except don't be a mama's boy. So I wish they could just walk on some hot coals, pee on a rock, Kill the fatted calf, call him a man, and we'll call it a day, but there isn't. But you're the hill to die on. So either they're going to fight you to become a man, or you're going to say, I know you're a man, and I'm going to defer to you as a man. So my husband got involved, Steve. And I, you know, he came home one day, and I was in tears, and he goes, that's it. It's time. You don't work for her anymore. And he looked at me like, good, because she's nuts, you know? And Steve said, but you work for me, and I'm a much harder taskmaster. And Steve put a pick and shovel in Brandon's hands and said, I want you to dig a ditch. We live on a ranch from the house to the barn. We're going to run electrical wire and power over there. Get to work. The next morning, Steve said, I'm going to work. When he gets up, you don't remind him. You don't nudge him if he chooses not to do it. If there's consequences to face, I will impose them. You're out. And, you know, it's funny because we want dad to get involved. But then when dad gets involved, we're like, oh, that, oh, that's just too much. That He really had plans with his friends. And you just grounded him. And now he can't go to this camping trip he's been planning. You got to, if you're going to hand it over to dad, you hand it over to dad. And then mom, you step back and you let dad be the one. Now, I know there's moms all over gasping, going, but you don't understand. My husband wouldn't do it that way. We were in youth ministry for 18 years. And we watched the ones who said, I am going to defer to my husband's authority. And I know we're talking to single moms too. And single moms, have your kids in a youth group. My my son, Tony, my husband became his father in the faith because he was at youth group. You want male heroes and influences in your son's lives. Be a part of a church family. 
But that was the, the dynamic that changed mine and Brandon's relationship when I deferred to Steve's authority and I stepped out and mm. it was not easy. I wanted to protect him from what he was going to get in trouble for when he didn't do it. But our relationship changed to be more uh, respect for each other, I think. Mm-hmm. I think in, in that regard, I mean, we hear from a lot of parents who have a prodigal teenager. You know, they're at that 15, 16 age range where they're kind of jumping out of the home, out of the structure, they've rebelled against it, what have you. How, how do you uh, give them advice in addressing some of those bigger issues, you know? Well, first I would say my heart is with you. I have friends that are praying for their prodigals. And the best story in Moms Raising Sons for that, there's two. One is about St. Augustine, who was a terrible rebel, and his mom prayed for him. But another one is the story of Adoniram Judson, who was raised by a Puritan preacher. And, you know, I always say PKs can be okay, because my kids were pastor's kids. But this kid went away to college, and he walked away from his Puritan belief. His friend, Jacob Eames, turned his heart away from believing in God. He went to New York after he graduated to try to be a playwright. He failed miserably. And one night he was riding his horse in the darkness and needing a place to stay. And he found a light across and he went to the light. It was an inn and he stayed at that inn. The innkeeper said, I have one room, but the man in the room next door is crying out in pain. In fact, he's dying. And if you're okay with that. And Judson was like, no no problem. All through the night, Adoniram Judson heard this man crying out and began questioning his own rejection of his faith. What if What if it were me dying? What if it were me going to face the Lord? Somewhere in the night, it got quiet, and he woke up, asked the innkeeper the name of the person who died, and it was Jacob Eames, the very young man that had turned his heart away from Christ. Mm. God devises ways to bring our prodigals home. We don't rescue them from their bad choices. We don't you know, keep letting them come back and bounce in and out of our houses if there's things that they need to learn out there. The father of the prodigal son, I'm sure his heart was broken as he watched the horizon. And God Mm. created a famine in the land to devastate that young boy to bring him home. So pray for God to bring, Mm. devise ways to bring your prodigal back. And then don't manipulate, pray. Uh, Brandon, let's bring you in here right at the end. Your mom has stressed the importance of that good modeling in terms of uh, passing on your faith to the next generation. How did you see that lived out in her life, and how are you trying to live that out in your faith with your own kids now? Yeah, Her grandchildren, whom she really loves, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I think uh, we mentioned earlier about uh, the feeling of the, the, the need to perform, um, and sometimes I think just as humans, we love to measure, we love measurables, we love to perform, we love to look good, we love to look the part. And what I really have appreciated about my, my parents and my mother specifically is um, she was transparent. I mean, there was times when she would apologize, you know, for the way that she interacted or, or said, or there was time she was working out just even her own parenting and mothering and um there was space for that and it was really good to see okay she's not saying that she has it all together and that she's totally perfect and you just need to fall in line and do exactly it was it we were working on it together we were learning together and i think that's like what's made our bond even now like so huge is is during those adolescent periods it was it was a lot of like us figuring it out and us like learning each other and i think there was one specific moment that that just felt so seen and understood by my mom and i still have it even to this day and what she did is she sat me down 
and she wrote out this like this graph and and she made like she made this graph and it was kind of like this hierarchy type of thing laid out and she was like and there was two situations in my life where there was two friends that I was kind of like I was disengaging from and I felt kind of like hurt by in a sense or I was like frustrated with and she said okay Brandon here's what I see here's what I think I understand about how you process things and she wrote it all out and she kind of did the hierarchy and she said and what you've done is with in this situation you've disregarded this person because they don't believe similar things as you in this situation you've disregarded this person because uh, you felt like betrayed like your loyalty has been betrayed and she the way that she just framed it out and she she showed me kind of and she processed it with me i just felt so heard and so understood and in that moment i even still think about that and in my own like uh, the way that I process life and the way that I interact mm. with different individuals. I think of that graph and I think of my propensity to go in those directions. And just remembering just a moment like that where she took the time to to work through it with me and to understand me and to hear me and to say, this is what I'm perceiving and this is what I'm, I think I'm understanding about how you're processing your relationships was huge. Kept the communication yeah. open. Yeah, totally. Then you could see that and hear that between you. And that's one of the beautiful things about your relationship uh, as we are observing it and hearing both of your hearts mm-hmm. in this great book, Rhonda. Uh, well done. And a great reminder for moms uh, to you know, follow Scripture and how they're – parenting their sons is just a wonderful thing. In fact, you wanted to read something, I think. Is that okay? Yeah. This is your time in history, Mom. In 1950, when missionary Jim Elliott decided to leave the safety of America to take the gospel to the native people of the Ecuadorian jungle, his parents were fearful for their safety. Mm. Confident that his decision was directed by the Lord, Jim wrote in a letter to his parents, remember how the psalmist described children? He said they were a heritage from the Lord, that every man should be happy whose quiver was full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them straight at the enemy's host. Are you, mom, doing what it takes to prepare the arrows in your quiver? The influence of mothers has shaped nations, trained leaders, nurtured artists, I always cry, encouraged ordinary men to accomplish extraordinary feats. This is your time in history, Mom. This generation needs mothers who will selflessly embrace this blessed calling of motherhood and raise sons and daughters who are courageous and righteous. What a powerful way to end. Uh, Rhonda, great book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Uh, You've done it. Brandon, you lived it, so you know what's true. (laughs) And it's great to have both of you on the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And if you'd like to get a copy of Rhonda's book, uh, get in touch with us here at Focus on the Family. I mean, the great thing is you're not patting the pockets of shareholders when you order through Focus. All the resources go right back into ministry, so you become a partner in helping others. And if you could do that monthly, that's great. A one-time gift is fine. And we'll send you a copy of Rhonda's book as our way of saying thank you when you can make that gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, donate today as you can, either that monthly pledge or one-time gift. Request your copy of the book, Moms Raising Sons to Be Men. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Smalley. And I'm Erin Smalley. Marriage is an amazing gift from God, but it can also be a challenge sometimes. That's right. We could all use a little guidance. And that's why we started our podcast, Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. We talk about things like recognizing conflict cycles, dealing with stress, and how to grow your love each day. Listen at crazylittlethingcalledmarriage.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to see you there. 